So this is also the part where I say that if you're one of those people who says, well, uh, say what you want about apartheid, but at least things worked. I swear I will throw hands because no, it didn't. Hey, my name is Dan Corder and welcome to The Issue with Dan Corder, a show where we deliver you South African news with laughter and thoughtfulness on podcast and on YouTube. On today's episode, we're trying to figure out how white South Africans got so wealthy because people don't know enough about white economic empowerment, economic apartheid, and exactly why that system has created the most unequal country in the world. So let's get into it. How did white South Africans get so wealthy? Because we live in the most unequal society on earth. And I know that we're a post-colonial society. I know that we had apartheid. No else in the world did the same way that we did. But how, even out of all the other countries that suffered that or similar systems, did we end up so fundamentally unequal? The answer is white economic empowerment, economic apartheid. And it freaks me out how many South Africans complain about BEE or say things like, 30 years of democracy, hasn't it been enough for you? In exactly that accent. And also, how many South Africans know basically nothing about economic apartheid? How far colonial and apartheid governments went to advantage white people and suppress people of color for hundreds and hundreds of years? Because the truth is, you can complain as much as you like about black economic empowerment in South Africa today, but black economic empowerment is nothing compared to decades and decades of white economic empowerment, which happened. Every single time a white dad says, I worked hard for my money and everyone else just needs to pull up their bootstraps and work hard like me. I didn't get any handouts. I didn't even get any social grants. They don't need them. They just need to be tougher and less lazy. And they said in exactly that accent. Every time somebody says that, and many older people said that about fees must fall. Every time they say that, they're basically just saying that poor people are lazy and it's absolutely their fault. There's something about poor people that makes them lazy, which is bigoted as fuck fuck, and classist, and probably in South Africa, racist. Here's the actual truth. Your parents may have worked hard, very hard, but the paler your skin color, the more you actually benefited from extraordinary government economic aid. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, but I wasn't even alive during apartheid. But you were born into a family that was benefited by a system that they were living in That advantaged you, gave you education, gave you skills, gave you work opportunities, gave you easy access, allowed you to move around South Africa freely. Remember 1950, the Group Areas Act? You know what also drives me mad is when people take an example of one person of color who's become extremely wealthy, and that's incredible, but they take it and they say, look, the system's not bad, it's not evil. All you other poor people who happen to be black, according to them, they're not being racist, according to them, pinky swear. They say, why can't you just do this? Because Cyril Ramaphosa, Patrice Motsepe, whoever. But the truth is, those people of color who did become wealthy or get out of the apartheid state in good financial sense or soon after the years of apartheid when that economic system of white economic empowerment was still affecting the country, they are a miracle. They rose out of that system that did not support them. But bad systems always hide behind the extraordinary, unusual examples of the miracle people. They try to make it look like the exception, this miracle case, is the average person in that system, that the system makes opportunities for normal everyday people on the average to be able to do 
that miracle case and they pinky swear that it's not a miracle case. And then they say, everyone who doesn't do as well as that, they're the problem, not the system. So when someone says, ah, apartheid didn't help white people that much economically, some black people made it or have made it since with many of the same conditions remaining the same, that's what they're saying. They're saying, ah, but like if you were a decently hardworking black person, you would have made it like Patrice Motsepe or whoever, which is ridiculous because it's very clear that on average, the system advantages white people and disadvantages black people. Like look at the average experience of the system for different people. It's bad. It was bad. It was built that way. It was designed that way. So here's the issue with white economic empowerment, how white people benefited from extraordinary government economic intervention. Now, you know that speaking about apartheid is hard because so much happened off the record. People dispute it. The apartheid government burned tons of documents in the last days of apartheid to remove traces of evil that was done. So I'm going to make this super simple. All I'm going to tell you about is a handful of government policies that were enacted on the record. No doubt about it, they happened to advantage white people. They were legislated. We know that they happened. No one can deny it. I'm going to start in 1910 when the Union of South Africa was formed because that was the first time that any government policies affected the whole country as a country because it was the first time the country existed. The Second South African War was fought between the Brits and the Boers and the Brits won. Now, just quickly, you may be thinking, Dan, it's called the Anglo-Boer War or the Boer War. That's the old name for it. But that name kind of suggests or leaves out the millions of people of color who were involved in and affected on both sides. The name Anglo-Boer War makes it sound like only British people and Boers were involved. Absolutely not true. So now it's called the Second South African War because it's the war that formed South Africa. That war is why South Africa exists. It made the South Africa as we know it. So the Brits won, but they wanted to unite all white people together, especially Afrikaners who they had been fighting with. They'd been killing each other and attacking each other for years in the Second South African War just before the Union of South Africa. So immediately, the Brits, when they won, formed the Union of South Africa and cancelled the votes of nearly all people of color. They weren't allowed to vote instantly. They gave total decision-making power to white people and formed this concept of whiteness being the ruling, voting, powerful class. It's the first thing they did. Then, in 1913, the Land Act made it illegal for black people to own or even lease land outside of reserves which meant that 93% of the land could only be owned by white people. So who did it benefit? White farmers suddenly had a ton of land to buy cheap or even get free and do what they liked with. Then in the early 1920s, poor whites, specifically Afrikaners, started protesting that most of big industry was owned by British companies and those companies were hiring skilled black workers instead of unskilled white workers. And there were tons of protests about this, particularly in and around Johannesburg, around the mines. In response to this, the government funded enormous public works programs, including building the Hartebeersport Dam, and all of those public works programs created jobs specifically for white workers. White's economic empowerment, economic apartheid, simple as that. After that, in 1924, the National Party, the apartheid guys, they came to power for the first time, not with full apartheid yet, that had come later. But the first thing that the Nats did in 1924 was they immediately increased government subsidies for white farmers and placed tariffs on imported agricultural goods to give local farmers the advantage. They did everything possible to help white farmers grow and get it done. That was called the Custom Tariffs Act. It was in 1925. And also in 1925, the Wage Act made a minimum wage for white workers, but not black workers. Now you might be thinking, oh, okay, Dan, that sounds good for white workers, but doesn't that mean that 
people could employ black workers for less than white workers, which maybe meant that more black people got employed. Absolutely not. Because at the same time, the government offered incentives to companies that were applying for tenders. And the incentive was the more white people you employed, the more likely you were to get work. And the government was a major employer. So 1925, the Wage Act, white workers get jobs and they get a minimum wage. Black workers are pushed out of jobs and they get paid next to nothing when they do actually get to work. Let's jump to 1948, when the National Party returned to power and formalized full-on apartheid as we know it for the very first time. And the very, very first thing that they did was direct massive government funds towards social programs and welfare grants for poor white people and slashed funding for people of color. All of that funding, welfare grants, social programs, remind you of anything that currently exists that maybe a certain kind of person listening to this podcast doesn't like as it exists in South Africa today. That was the foundational building block of how white people overwhelmingly were pulled out of poverty. And you don't also, by the way, now get to say, oh, but like I know a white person or I am a white person who is poor or isn't doing so well today, because that doesn't refute the overwhelming data and the overwhelming evidence that the average white person, as we see today in such an unequal society as South Africa, was pulled up and out by government intervention. In 1950, the Group Areas Act stopped black people from moving through South Africa freely. That's what it did. They had to get permission to go places. They had to move around on white people's terms. Often they had to get letters from employers or letters from a police station or letters from a local authority. And this made it incredibly hard for them to go and find work, to change their lives, to be upwardly mobile, because they could so easily be denied by different authorities that could hire or welcome in any kind of person that they liked. And it got worse. In 1953, the Industrial Conciliation Act meant black people couldn't be classified as employees. That's literally what it did. It said black people could not be classified as employees in South Africa. They got no benefits. They weren't allowed to unionize. They weren't allowed to fight for better wages and working conditions as employees in South Africa. Only white people were allowed to do that, not black people. In the 1950s and 60s, black people's pensions were fixed. That meant that they were held at a certain number monetary value. But inflation was happening at the same time, which meant that the fixed pensions were losing their value every single year. And at the same time, white people's pensions weren't fixed. They rapidly grew, often above inflation, and became more valuable over the time. The state's position was to, even with the little money that black people were allowed to earn, to undercut the value of that money. And the state, the apartheid state, continually expanded education programs to upskill white workers while denying all of that to black workers. Black South Africans were forced into the Bantu Education Act as far back as 1953, where they were literally only taught how to do basic unskilled labor. They were reduced to servitude. And in 1960, the apartheid government cut all feeding schemes in black schools. That meant that if you could not get a good meal at home, you weren't going to get it at school either. They were literally driving black kids away from classrooms, taking every opportunity that they could to undercut black South Africans and lift up white South Africans. And the Nats also worked incredibly hard to promote white, specifically Afrikaner-owned business. You know why the Nats had African-language radio stations? Have you ever thought about this? They invented them, a little bit for propaganda, but also to make money for white people off of black people. This is what happened. In the 60s, the government handed out millions of radios to black people across the country, and then they created 
African language radio stations that they ran themselves. Obviously, they used it for propaganda. Obviously, they were trying to control the flow of information around apartheid to the whole country. But they also gave ad space, reaching this massive new audience that they had created to white, especially Afrikaner-owned business, often free, often at knockdown rates. And when you think today about the largest South African businesses, many of them, Afrikaner white owned in the 60s, that were handed the keys to a buying public of black South Africans to make their fortunes. I could go on, but you get the point. These are undisputable facts. And you know what I said earlier about the average experience showing what a system actually does? Well, let's look at what the apartheid system did to South Africa. In 1996, the first ever truly national census was taken, where all South Africans were included in the surveys to discover what the reality of their lives were. This had never happened before. No massive research or study had ever been done to look into the vast majority of generally black South Africans' lives. Obviously, why would the apartheid government want to have that exposed? So this is also the part where I say that if you're one of those people who says, well, uh, say what you want about apartheid, but at least things worked. I swear, I will throw hands because no, it didn't. Things under apartheid did not work. It was not better. Maybe it worked and maybe it was better for a small minority of people, white people. But for everyone else, ghastly. Scrub out that bullshit, ahistorical, faux, weird, romantic cuck. Put it away. Here's what life was like for the vast majority of South Africans straight after apartheid. This is the legacy. This is the South Africa that the apartheid government left us. The apartheid government forcibly removed over 3 million black people from their homes over 20 or 30 years and dumped them on undesirable land with no good housing or infrastructure, sometimes no sewage systems, no roads, no lights. Regarding housing, because of apartheid, in 1996, 21% of black South Africans, that's 6 million people, lived in informal housing. How many people were white living in informal housing? Under 0.1% of white people lived in informal housing in 1996. Let's talk about water. Because of apartheid, 25% of black South Africans, that's one in four people, or total 7 million black South Africans, had no access to piped water. In 1996, less than 30 years ago, in that same year, 97% of white people had access to piped water. Let's talk about rubbish, refuse removal, something as basic as taking away the trash. Because of apartheid, in 1996, 59% of black South Africans didn't have any access to regular refuse removal. That's over 18 million people. No access to having their rubbish taken away from their communities. At the same time, 92% of white people had access to regular refuse removal. Let's talk about electricity. Everybody loves it. Favorite topic of conversation at the moment. In 1996, because of apartheid, 56% of black South Africans had no access to electricity. None in 1996. That's more than 17 million people. On the flip side, 99.6% of white people had electricity. Let's talk about toilets. Let's talk about something as basic as getting your cuck, your shit, flushed away. In 1996, 65% of black South Africans had no access to flush or chemical toilets. That's more than 20 million people. 99.6% of white people did have access to flush or chemical toilets. That's just what it was. That's the South Africa that apartheid made. That is where all of the disparities in wealth comes from. A few weeks ago, there was a news headline. 
It said, South Africa is not ready for a white president. And you know, sometimes you see a news headline on a lamppost, on a poster, on paper and cardboard, and you think, why did they waste ink and paper on that? Why would they waste ink and paper on something so obvious? Like, what about the trees? Don't they know the Amazon is in trouble? Because, duh, obviously, many South Africans are not ready for a white president. But it makes sense a bit when you see who said this incredibly obvious thing. It was the leader of the Freedom Front Plus, or sorry, properly, the Freiheitsfront Plus. Now, this quote actually annoys me so much because it feels like it's implying that South Africans who aren't ready for a white president are somehow being unreasonable or they should think again or they should change. Yo, I mean, really? After centuries of abuse and oppression based on race by white people, would you suddenly just trust 30 years, less than 30 years, would you suddenly just trust? And as for the people like the Freiheitsfront Plus who say that South Africa is not ready for a white president, and now what? You want trust. You want forgive and forget. That show is cancelled. Trust is earned. And I would say it's pretty damn reasonable to wait a little while longer to see if that trust is deserved. So that's the issue with white economic empowerment. Thank you so much for listening to the first ever episode of The Issue with Dan Corder, where we're giving you South African news with laughter and thoughtfulness. You can catch our video episodes on YouTube. Just search The Issue with Dan Corder and you can find our socials in the bio. You can also find the email address if you'd like to contact us for sponsorships, collaborations, anything you like, even inquiries or complaints. I love complaints. Send me a complaint. I love complaints. Please like, subscribe, follow, spread the word. See you soon. That's it. That's it. We did it.